0: News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi.
1: Well, what a night it was, at least for those of us who were covering it, even though we ended up in pretty much the same place where we were two years ago on election night. But let's break it all down now with our chief political correspondent for Global News, David Aiken. Good morning, David.
0: Good morning, Simmy. I got enough coffee going on there. i bet you do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I sure do. Let's talk about the results. So, So interesting in some of those ridings last night, because I know we talk about the number of seats staying relatively the same, but there were so many great stories from last night. Which ones really caught your attention?
0: Well, there's there's three ministers right now that look like they're out of work. Uh, maybe one we'll see. We, there's there's still ballots to be counted. I'll, let me start on the other coast, the Atlantic coast. But a job that's important for many British Columbians, and that's the Fisheries Minister. Mm-hmm. Her name is Bernadette Jordan. She represents in Nova Scotia riding South Shore St. Margaret's. She lost to the Conservatives, and there was apparently some discussion in her riding. Uh, a lot of fishers were uh, not happy with uh, you know some of the uh, some of the rules the federal government was introduced. So she loses her riding. We're going to have a new fisheries minister. Moving to Ontario, Mariam Monsef, uh, Justin Trudeau's Minister for Women and Gender Equality, she lost in the riding of peterborough Coartha, sort of the middle of Ontario. That's interesting because Peterborough is kind of a bellwether riding. Um With one little blip in 1980, it's always elected a government member uh, going back to like 1960, but not this time. It's got a conservative, so there's a minister losing. And then in Toronto, our seniors minister, her name is Deb Schult. She's in a riding just north of Toronto, and she lost, but she's behind by 1,600 votes And there's still 3,000 mail-in ballots to count. And those mail-in ballots everywhere in the country, they won't start counting them until 9 a.m. local time. So that's B.C. In fact, B.C. and on Vancouver Island had some of the highest numbers of mail-in ballots in the entire country. (laughs) North Island Powell River, where Rachel Blaney, the New Democrat, was reelected, had the highest number of mail-in ballots in the country. But all over Vancouver Island, lots of mail-in ballots. And no one will start counting them until 9 a.m. your time
1: okay so even though it seems like every party had some high profile losses they also every party seemed to also have picked up seats and sometimes in unexpected areas
0: yeah it, it, I mean honest to God if you, it, the numbers are going to change a little bit over the day because of these mail-in ballots um, and the top line numbers as you say it's like it's almost just like 2019 the Liberals won 157 in uh, in 2019 and It looks like they're right around 157 now. It's it's remarkable, and yet everybody's had a little bit of a pickup. In your neck of the woods, for instance, I mentioned Vancouver Island and where we have mail-in ballots. The riding of Nanaimo Ladysmith has turned into a heck of a three-way fight that's not over, not over by a long shot. Right now, as we start the day, the new Democrat, Lisa Marie Barron, is up by 989 votes over the conservative candidate, Tamara Cronus, But right behind her is the incumbent. That was a green riding, Paul Manley. Uh, so there's 29% for the NDP, 27% for the conservatives, 25% for Manley. But here's the thing. I mentioned it's a 989-vote lead for the NDP. Mm-hmm. In this riding, there's 7,800 votes stuffed into mail-in ballot boxes. So... and. Apparently, I'm told Elections Canada, they, they can process only about 500 an hour. So, you know, we're talking a little, little, that maybe yeah. tomorrow before we wind the winner there. And in, in Vancouver, um, Richmond Center was a loss for the conservatives. That's where, uh, uh that's where Alice Wong had, a she time, goes yeah. right back to the Harper areas. She lost in Richmond Center. And we have another close one in Vancouver Granville, which was Jody Wilson Raybould's old riding, uh, Talib Nur Mohammed, is right now up by 230 votes. The New Democrats are second, um, but there's 6,800 mail-in ballots still to count. So we may not know if Tlaib won, and of course he attracted a lot of the wrong kind of attention during the <laughs> yeah, campaign, didn't he? he really so did. we'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see on that one. So everybody was saying that this could be a breakthrough for the NDP potentially. They did pick up a few seats, but uh, wouldn't like, not like cl- clearly not, though, the results that they had also been hoping for.
0: I agree completely. I, I, I thought Jagmeet Singh and the NDP ran a good campaign. They they had the money to run one. I'm told they spent more on they spent as much on advertising in this campaign as they spent on the entire campaign in 2019. So they ran a good campaign. They were polling at around 20 percent nationally as we started the night last night. But it looks like that we will again. We'll wait to see the final number. That might be 17 or 18 percent, and that did make a difference. That they didn't really pick up. Um, where they wanted to pick up, I know they had a lot more higher hopes for uh, certainly for British Columbia, where they were leading in the polls at times in in BC. I mentioned, and I'm a Lady Smith, are hoping to pick up there. Uh, Port Moody Coquitlam. It was the closest race in the country in 2019 when Nellie Shin, the Conservative, won. Right now, Nellie Shin is 2,000 votes behind the new Democrat, Benita Zarillo. So, Port Moody Coquitlam. Right now, you put that in the NDP column. That's a pickup, but. Once again, we got 5,000 mail-in ballots that haven't been counted. Now, the New Democrats are up 2,000. And here's the thing about mail-ins. As we saw with the B.C. provincial election, conservatives don't like mail-ins. They want to vote in person. New Democrats, liberals, don't mind voting by mail. So if there's a pile of mail-in ballots, the conservatives not likely to make up ground. And here we have Port Moody Coquitlam, where Nellie Shin is down by 2,000 with 5,000 mail-ins. I'm almost certain the mail-in ballot skews heavily towards New Democrats or Liberals, but not towards the Conservatives. I mean, that—that that is the historical yeah. pattern we've seen in these elections. So I don't know if Nelly Shin is going to come back. It looks like that's an NDP pickup.
1: Okay, so what happens now then, David? Is it just a matter of waiting for these mail-in ballots to be counted?
0: That's it. So again, they start at 9 a.m. And again, we've been told by Elections Canada that they're all stuffed in boxes of 500 each. And the way it happens is... Every mail-in ballot has to be opened by hand, verified by hand to make sure that the, you know, somebody didn't try to vote at a poll and then knowing they had a mail-in. So they got to verify every single vote. And then they have to count it by hand. There's no machines involved, and that's really different than say the U.S. election. So this is a way to you know guard against the, um, the integrity of our election. All these ballots are counted by hand. And then you know what happens? To these ballots. Here's a little trivia for you. Every single ballot, whether it was mail in or or last night in a poll, they all get shipped to Ottawa each little piece of paper, and they are stored in a warehouse at Elections Canada's warehouse in Ottawa for 10 years in case you ever wanted to come back and count up all the results all over again.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Does anybody want to relive this one again like we did from two years ago?
0: <laughs> nah, not really. That's no. Remember, that's 16 million little pieces of paper that are going to be stored in a warehouse in Ottawa.
1: Oh, wow. Let's Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right. Thank you so much for that, David.
0: Okay, thanks, Simi. Cheers. It's
1: David Aiken, That is our Global News Chief Political Correspondent. Boy, he was working that board hard last night with all the different results and all the interesting stories. And that's the thing about the election, right? I know people will f- fix it on the numbers that, oh, it's so similar to two years ago, but there are so many interesting stories across the country, as David just pointed out, seats that flipped from one party to another. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, I know that our Raji Hall was glued to the results last night, watching everything unfold across the country. Weren't you, Raji?
2: I was indeed. And you're right, Simi. Uh, you said it was maybe the Pollyanna, Pollyanna in you, but that things have definitely changed around the country. It's not strictly status quo. That Things have shifted. Still lots of writings to watch in terms of interesting yeah turns and flips but just my overall reaction to the result last night was first of all you know disappointed that we had to to do this disappointed that we had to go through an election when liberals wanted A majority and they didn't get it. Uh, They still got the affirmation though that they wanted and here's hoping that it uh, motivates them to fulfill these lofty promises that they made over the campaign including uh, over climate change and reconciliation. These are ones that are really important to younger voters. I am so curious to find out how many people What turned out just because voter turnout shows us how much people are actually engaging with the issues, and that is what matters here. That's what matters more than minority government going this way or that way. Is just that people are engaging with the issues, and I think that emotions have been so high over the pandemic that a lot of people are talking now about uh, what the liberals did do or didn't do, and who could do a better job. You know, liberals, Serb helped. Students, it helped low income and gig earners, it helped small business owners over the pandemic. But I wonder if that actually turned out to votes uh, because I think a lot of people forgot uh, how they were helped by the I don't CERB. Know.
1: I, I, you know, I was wondering, I wanted to know from people w- what happened. Like, how did they vote the way they did? Because I think people, a lot of people thought about this very deeply and mm-hmm. maybe got into their the booth and you know had that piece of paper in front of them and were, we're still thinking about it to the last moment. I just want to read you an email, Raji, that I got. Sure. And Kelly is from Cloverdale-Langley. So fascinating races out that way. And I think Kelly really epitomizes what we saw overall with this election. Kelly said, even though I have been a liberal voter for the last two elections, I wasn't particularly impressed with some of the things the Liberals did over their last term, and I did consider voting conservative. However, mm. while I don't dislike Aaron O'Toole, I didn't feel that his leadership of the party and his platform were strong enough, and I was concerned with some of the less progressive members of his party and what legislation might actually come to fruition. So, Kelly says, I gave Justin Trudeau and the Liberals one more chance with my vote. But Mm. if their foreign policy continues to be abhorrent and if Aaron O'Toole establishes a stronger hold on his party and a more convincing platform, that may very well change in the next election.
2: So interesting. Isn't it? And I'd love to hear how much she wrestled with that decision. I think that uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was hoping to bank on people like that who were struggling with uh, being okay with the Liberals um, last last couple of years and making a decision on that. He, Jagmeet Singh yesterday sounded totally disappointed. You got the sense that he really… He was, yeah. He, that he really believes in the dream, that, that we're better together. He's an optimist who yeah. tried hard to channel that orange crush.
1: Yeah, let me tell you, I was actually at NDP headquarters in Vancouver at the convention center last night with Robin Gill from Global National. And we were there all evening long. And I have to tell you that at the beginning, there was a, a real sense of optimism. I think they really felt they were going to do really well.
0: Mm-hmm. But as the
1: night wore on, and you could see that, oh, well, these are not, you know, adding up to any kind of a, a swell of orange seats. You really felt the nervousness in, you know, in the room and with the NDP people, the staffers who were working there to the end that I think they were just dis- you could feel some disappointment there at the end of the evening when he did speak at around 10 o'clock last night because they really thought they were going to do better. But I think people like Kelly you know, took a long, hard look at where that vote was going to go. So this result doesn't mean that, like, it could mean a completely different one next time, but it's just a lot of people, I think, parked their vote this time.
2: Yeah, I think Canadians aren't ready to give Jagmeet, the, Jagmeet Singh the role. They trust him more. Um, but what does that mean for the party? And exactly. should it's- he have campaigned differently? I don't know. I don't think necessarily so. I think he, he did an okay job. Here he is in a clip from last night.
0: We are gonna continue fighting for you. Just the same way we fought for you in the pandemic, you can count on us to continue those fights. We're gonna make sure that we fight hard to defend our environment, to make sure we're fighting the climate crisis like we really wanna win. You can count on new Democrats to keep on fighting to make sure you can find a home that's in your budget for all those people struggling to find a home. We see you, we hear you, and we're gonna fight to make sure that there is a home in your budget.
1: Right. He sounds like a little bit down, He's though. deflated. Yeah, yeah deflated. Sure. That's a very good way to put it. Deflated, for and sure.
2: Meanwhile, Aaron O'Toole's speech was very strategic, and uh, it sounded like he was speaking to his party a lot more than his uh, constituents.
0: Tonight, Canadians did not give Mr. Trudeau the majority mandate he wanted. Canadians sent him back with another minority at the cost of of $600 million and deeper divisions in our great country.
1: I think that's a good way to put it. He was definitely speaking to members of his party. Raji, thank you. Thanks.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: All right. We're talking this morning about the election result. And of course, they're not final. We were just talking with Andrea Morantz of uh, Elections Canada. And they are starting this morning, she said within an hour or so, to start the process of verifying the mail-in ballots and then counting the mail-in ballots. And from what we see, and from what you know, from a couple of different ridings there in BC, they are going to make the difference in declaring who wins uh, in this election. Particularly in a place like, say, Vancouver Granville, which is Jody Wilson-Raybould's old riding, it's so close there right now—only about 200 or so votes separating the Liberal candidate versus the NDP candidate—that it is going to be the mail-in ballots that make a difference. So, it's not going to be right away. She said the verification process, as explained. Take some time, so expect throughout the day today that we will get some updates on that, and we'll have them for you. So, more to come on that. But let's break down what happened here. Let's analyze the campaign as well. It did not go the way I think any of the parties really thought they were going to. If you're the Liberals... You thought you were going to get a majority. That's why you called this. If you were the Conservatives, you know, for the beginning of the first couple of weeks of this campaign, you might have felt that victory was within grasp, perhaps even of a minority government at some point. If you were the NDP, you thought, oh, yeah, we're feeling this. We are the alternative and we think we might be able to pick up a whole bunch of seats here. And yet none of that actually happened. Joining us is Dwayne Bratt, political science professor at Mount Royal University. Dwayne was also on Decision Canada and Alberta last night. Dwayne, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Let's analyze. What do you think happened here? Because clearly something during the campaign shifted. What do you think that was?
3: So I, I think um, oh, the, the Liberals and Justin Trudeau clearly underestimated Aaron O'Toole. They thought that this would be a cakewalk to their majority. And in the first three weeks of the campaign, the Liberals almost looked like they were surprised that somebody called an election on them. Uh, and, and O'Toole had taken steps before the campaign uh, to protect himself against typical liberal attacks, particularly on the carbon tax. When he brought out his carbon tax plan in April, it was never designed to be implemented. The thing was way too complicated to do that. But it took the issue of climate change off the the table. And in fact, if you watch the 35-day campaign, there was very little discussion about climate change. So that strategy worked. Then the Liberals hammered on abortion and private health care and I thought uh, O'Toole swatted those away. But then in about the last 10 days of the campaign, starting with the issue of guns, then on to vaccine mandates, then on to Jason Kenney and the horrible COVID situation in Alberta, O'Toole really stumbled. You know, He flip-flopped badly on guns that they should have anticipated uh, an attack on guns. Um, He wouldn't get his candidates to say that they were vaccinated, even though the vast majority of them were. And he went from praising Jason Kenney's uh, uh, response to COVID to not even knowing who Jason Kenney was, <laughs> and uh, that really hurt him down down at the end of the uh, uh, the end of the stretch. But I think when you're Justin Trudeau and you call this election and you call this election to go from a minority to a majority and you, your closing argument is vote for me to keep Aaron O'Toole from becoming prime minister, that's a pretty weak argument. Uh, and so I think uh, there's going to be soul-searching in both the liberal camp and the conservative camp about the future of their leaders.
1: Yeah, in Alberta, so it does seem like Alberta had a big impact on how things went, particularly for the conservatives and Aaron O'Toole. Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, absolutely. Nationwide, but also in the province of Alberta. You know, when you look at the results, they look very similar to 2019 with a bit of a difference in Alberta. Now, the Conservatives still won 30 out of 34 seats, but in 2019, they won 33 out of 34 seats. In 2019, the Conservatives got 69% of the vote. Last night, they got 55% of the vote. That's a huge hit. And I think a lot of that can be directly attributed uh, to Jason Kenney. And this was almost like a proxy vote. And if I'm a provincial conservative, looking at the results last night, I'm not getting a whole lot of sleep because Rachel Notley is more popular in the province than either Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh. The liberals are are a non-entity provincially. So the vote... The progressive vote is all concentrated in, in the NDP. The NDP has a better ground game. Um, I would be very, very worried.
1: What about, you talked about the uh, the gun control issue for Aaron O'Toole and the conservatives. What was amazing to me about that, Dwayne, is that that was purely self-inflicted, right? Oh, you know, absolutely. That was something that, that Aaron O'Toole brought up during the debate and it made people do a double take, go, wait a minute, what did he just say?
3: when you have to edit your party platform in the middle of a campaign and add a footnote, that's a problem. And he could have diffused this. I mean, it's, it's 2020 hindsight, backseat driving, whatever you want to come out and say, we agree with the liberals on banning assault guns, where we disagree on what constitutes an assault gun. So we actually need a proper review of that, that, I think might have diffused the situation better for him, but that's not what he put in the platform. And it allowed people to bring up, well, what about this gun? What about that gun? And it forced a reversal of policy right. on something that the Conservatives are vulnerable on uh, amongst nonpartisan Canadians.
1: But in Alberta then, I know there's a lot of anger at the Kenny government and Premier Jason Kenney. Did that translate, do you think, into people not voting Conservative in the federal election?
3: Uh, I, I think so. Um, as I said, there, uh, the percentage of the Conservative vote in Alberta dropped by 15%. Some of that went to the People's Party, but the People's Party really wasn't a factor. Even in Alberta, they got 7%, uh, 5% nationally. Where did the other 7 or 8% went? It went to the NDP and to the Liberals, the NDP actually finished second in the popular vote. Uh, the NDP picked up a seat. The Liberals look like they're picking up two seats, one in Calgary, one in uh, one in Edmonton. And so I, I think it did it, it affect them. And watch the O'Toole team in the days to come if they start putting the, the blame on Jason Kenney. I, I think O'Toole was in trouble without that issue, but that probably put it uh, into the... Uh, and made it much worse right. than than what he was initially facing.
1: Well, it explains a lot about his speech, too, last night, which sounded yeah, very much it was, like...
3: it was about, please let me continue yes, in my job.
1: It does, puts a lot into and, perspective. And you could see the
3: messaging. They knew what was coming. Yeah. When the campaign manager said yesterday, well, if we can hold Trudeau to a minority, then we won. Well, no, actually, you haven't you won. You have not. Justin Trudeau is still the prime minister, and you lost by another 35 seats.
1: Yeah. Dwayne, listen, thanks so much for breaking it down for us this morning.
0: Okay. You're welcome. This is Mornings with Simi.
1: I wish Prime Minister uh, Trudeau um,
4: a great success in his governing. Uh, I am disappointed, though, um, the NDP leader. I I, uh, I, thought they would get more seats. I mean, I think he's a, he,
1: he's a terrific leader. There you go. So lots of people's opinions and thoughts on what happened with the election last night. And I think there was a feeling that there would be some more momentum for Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. Certainly, personally, his poll numbers were better than the other party leaders. So what happened there? How would the NDP describe their night? Let's find out. Joining us now is NDP MP Jenny Kwan, who was also re-elected in Vancouver East. Thank you very much for being with us this morning. Good morning, Simi. And congratulations. What was it like for your writing? What did you hear when you were door knocking? Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh,
4: when I was on the uh, doorsteps and on the phone uh, with the people of Vancouver East, um, you know, first off, people did say, why are we having an election? They were enormously frustrated uh, about that. Uh, setting that aside, uh, the support uh, was there and I was feeling um, really good, actually, heading into E-Day, people said to me that, uh, you know, uh, it's so good to have a strong voice in East Vancouver, always fighting for us, raising the issues, never shy about uh, pushing the, the envelope all the time. Uh, and so uh, many of the people in the last week of the calls uh, into the campaign Uh, had said, we already voted either by mail-in ballot or in the advance poll. Uh, And so, you know, it was feeling good. And so I'm very grateful uh, for the people of Vancouver East uh, for giving me the um, uh, encouragement uh, to return to Ottawa uh, and and having the trust from them to return to Ottawa and to fight for Eastman.
1: Did you think that overall, though, that the party was, well, going to do better this time? Were expectations higher?
4: Well, you know, um, we, we gained uh, another seat, uh, which is great, uh, from um, right here in BC uh, with uh, Bonita, Bonita Bricello, uh which is excellent to bring that seat home. Uh, now, you know, the, you never know how things are going to roll out. I think that people, generally speaking, uh, basically said, look, we'd like to see a minority government. Uh, we think that's working well. The NDP had pushed the government throughout the last year and a half or so in getting more for uh, Canadians. And they like that. They like to see us working together and driving uh, these issues and getting more for uh, Canadians. And so in many ways, I think the outcome of the election reflect that. Uh, and, and really, uh, it was an election that we didn't need to have because things are essentially uh, about the same. And we could have saved that $600 million and invested that instead into the people uh, and spending all this time instead of campaigning, uh, actually getting to work on a variety of different issues. The Liberals, of course, uh, campaign and promise uh, $10 a day childcare. They've been doing this for decades now. Instead of campaigning, we could actually be getting to work getting these kinds of promises materialized. We could have been working on the Afghanistan file, right? All of those issues that are urgent, sitting on our desks. Instead, uh, we're busy campaigning because Mr. Trudeau wanted to um, gamble for for a majority.
1: There was a a lot of frustration over that from the general public. So why didn't that translate into more votes for your party?
4: Well, um, people really did respond to Jagmeet. They really like him uh but at, at the end of the day how that looks uh, at the polls is you know always um something that uh, you never really know whether or not uh people at the end of the day went to the polls and voted. It's also another question mark. We're going to have to look deeper into that outcome. But that said, uh, we ran an excellent campaign. Our leader was uh, energized. He was out there. People saw him on the ground. They loved him. Uh, I had so many comments from people saying, we just love your leader. We love his approach. We love his sincerity. Uh, we love his optimism. And that's what we're always always about. Always fighting on the ground. Always pushing forward. Always having the focus. Of the people uh, on our minds, and, and people saw that in meet. And so, um, you know, what we have to do now that the election is over is to keep on doing that work in the House of Commons, fighting for the people, driving the issues forward, uh, and, and that's uh, what that's what we're all about.
1: Right? What is going to convince people? Do you think to take what? a chance and vote for your party next time if there's an election? You know what? We figure it'll be a couple of years. So what's going to be the difference now in the next couple of years?
4: Well, I hope that people will really reflect on the uh, possibility. Just imagine and let your mind go. Imagine the possibilities. You know, we say in the campaign, and it's not just a slogan. We deeply believe in it, and that is better is possible. We don't always have to sort of resort to you know liberal conservative, liberal conservative, and that seems to be you know where we're at. And people just need to let go and say, hey, you know what? We can we can take a chance. Um, you know, our late leader, Jack Layton, believed in that fundamentally. Uh, and he almost brought us there. Now, of course, um, didn't quite make it uh, at the end, uh, but he almost brought us there. And and, and Jack really exudes that um, possibility, that imagination, that optimism, and that hope. And Chikmita is exactly like that. And so if people just really um, let their imagination run, and, and and not al- always feel that, oh, we only have two choices. Uh, I think if we can do that and think that better, better is right. possible and believe in it, um, we can make
1: history. Do you think that is what people believe, though? You said it there, that people believe they only have two choices.
4: I think often people feel that way, you know, and, um, and, and you know, because we've always just had the two choices and then they sort of flip back and forth. Uh, you know, it's always, oh, well, we have to choose the liberals because we don't want the conservatives. Uh, and it's always that kind of idea. But what we also know is that more new Democrats in the House of Commons means more people, more progressive members of Parliament fighting for you with your interests at the forefront uh, and not the interests of you know big business, not the interests of Bay Street. Uh, and, and I think um, that's the difference, right? With New Democrats fighting for people, we can get results. We got results in the last 18 months throughout the pandemic uh, and we will continue to fight uh, and if people believe that uh, change is possible, um, we can make a difference.
1: Well, thank you very much for your time on that this morning. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's Jenny Kwan, NDP MP. She was re-elected in her riding of Vancouver East. That's for the third time. She originally won 2015, re-elected 2019, and then re-elected again uh, yesterday. Talking about the NDP's fortunes and what they have to do to have well, more of a breakthrough than they did yesterday. Now, you've had a lot of comments today about your feelings on what happened yesterday, how you voted, perhaps, or how other people voted. Thank you for calling our buzz line on that, 604-331-2899. But let's hear what you've had to say.
4: Yeah, morning, Simi.
5: Just regarding the uh, election results, uh, personally, I didn't necessarily, uh, wasn't thrilled with uh, Trudeau and the Liberals, but um, I couldn't vote for NDP because I just knew there was no chance of them becoming anything close to running a government. They, he's just not ready. The party's just not there. And by me supporting um, uh, the conservatives, that just scared me bit too much. Uh, their views are just not aligned with me at all. So uh, I had to support liberals. I'm sorry. That's just all there was to it. I'd just like to thank the Prime Minister and liberals for accomplishing zero, spending $610 million of our dollars, to do nothing. What a waste.
1: You know, all these people that are complaining about the $600 million bill after the election, these are the people
5: that six months ago, they were calling for the elections and Justin Trudeau should be out and he should call. He did. He
0: called in an election and this is the result. Live with it. If you didn't like it, then you shouldn't have called for it.
4: I'm also disappointed, not in you, but in the election. Um, it's a shame that things stayed the same and we did this whole exercise. And Personally, I wanted to uh, party out of there, and my thoughts are really on housing affordability, and I think the, uh, the PM's been very careless with that. Um, now, as far as me Singh goes, and how um, I am indeed, you know, fond of him, uh, there's kind of a bad taste left in your mouth, um, not in him, but from the rest of the country, and it's one of those tastes where things don't really change.
1: Mm, so interesting, though. I know we've. there's a feeling that things haven't changed, but remember, there's a lot of new faces for all of the parties, for the Liberals, for the Conservatives, for the NDP. So there's fresh faces, new blood coming in, and that does always bring some change. It will be interesting to watch. But keep those comments.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: All right, let's talk about something other than the election, because there are so many other stories out there that deserve some attention. Let's talk about schools, particularly in the North Okanagan Shuswap District. They were locked on Monday in response to those protests that they saw on Friday by opponents of vaccine mandates. Remember this story? A statement from School District 83 said protesters had actually entered two elementary schools and a secondary school in Salmon Arm. Those are demonstrations a district called, quote, completely unacceptable. It has once again revived this discussion of whether or not we need to have these no-go zones or bubble zones around schools and hospitals in light of these protests that we have been seeing. Let's talk more about that. Joining us now is Darren Daniluk, who's president of the BC Principals and Vice Principals Association. Darren, thank you for being here.
5: Well, thank you for having me.
1: What did you think when you heard about this story first?
5: Well, probably much the same as many other people thought. I was quite alarmed that a group of people would enter a school during the school day uh, you know, and taking this, this demonstration and protest into the hallways of the school. And I was very concerned for the principals and vice principals who would have to intercept these people and shield their community from their intrusion and uh, preserve the order and the safety of the day.
1: It's surprising, though, isn't it, that you think it's come to this, that we have to talk about how do we make sure people don't protest inside of schools?
5: Uh, yes, I, I guess surprising is a way to describe it. Um, disappointing.
1: Yeah, that's another good word for it, too. So then, Darren, what do you think should happen here?
5: Well, the concept of a, of a no-fly, as you call it, or a bubble zone, I think is a measure that's worth uh, examination you know and that the, the government take a good strong look at that there already exists the school act articulates the authority for a principal to you know preserve the safety and the order of the school day and direct people you know from the premises should they disrupt that but there's there are 1500 schools in the province public schools that is and for that measure to be enacted you know one by one uh you know as uh, schools are interrupted I just it's not efficient and in fact it just leaves our members concerned for you know the lottery of the day will their school be the target of the next uh, course of action so you know a measure that is systematic and strategic and uh, preemptive on a on a provincial scale is something that has to be entertained
1: right so you feel does that put too much onus on principals and vice principals to make that call on a daily basis Oh,
5: absolutely. I mean, a a provincial measure would protect the the security and the safety of the school, of the children, of the teachers within it. But more than that, our principals deserve something that, you know, takes something off their plate. To this point in the pandemic, they have stepped up and, uh, you know, kept schools open, kept them safe, kept kids in classes. And to have one more thing added to the plate in the morning, where they have to be concerned that a party of people will show up at their door and to be, to be frank about it, these people came into the building and they were seeking out the principals and the vice principals. They were targeting them with their rhetoric, with their do-it-yourself legal documents, claiming that there'd be personal liability for the principals and vice principals. And our members had to intercept them, shield them from, sorry, shield their community from these people and direct them off the premises. So something that is province-wide and systematic um, absolutely needs to be considered.
1: How stressed are our principals and vice principals these days, Darren, given everything that has been going on during the pandemic and managing all of that?
5: I'd say the stress levels are high. The the startup was not what it was last year. Uh, Let's give it that. It was smoother in many ways and and easier in in some, Uh, but nonetheless, there are still mitigation strategies that are being employed every day. There's still a concern for safety and welfare, and uh, we're maintaining that. Um, This Development on Friday just escalated that and increased it beyond an acceptable level.
1: How much leeway does a school principal have in terms of, like, when we're mm-hmm. talking about mask mandates and notifications to parents and managing all those concerns of COVID, how much leeway does a principal have in dealing with all that? Or, or are the rules fairly well set out?
5: The the principals and vice principals were part of the leadership team of the school district. And we are taking our directions from the provincial health office. We sit at the table with the steering committee and our partners in education. And uh, so do we have authority? Absolutely. But do we have leeway? Uh, No, we operate as part of the management and the leadership team.
1: Right. So does that depend school by school how that works?
5: I'm sorry, could you repeat that?
1: Does it depend school by school how that works? Does every principal get to have, you know, make that decision with their staff?
5: The decision with respect to masks. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Well, yeah, the just question.
1: how it's approached by a school in dealing with the parents and the way questions are dealt with. It just seems to me that probably in some schools you've got you know some very concerned parents and perhaps in other schools not as much.
5: Well, the community will be different from school to school for certain, but there will be district policy and district strategy that principals are part of uh, developing and maintaining.
1: So, what would you say to the education minister here then, Darren, in terms of dealing with this particular situation? Well,
5: I would invite the education minister to uh, you know, join the, the partners in the sector in a conversation on the viability of a strategy that would be provincial, uh, provincial and uh, discuss what would be the response. Because, of course, any strategy is going to be only as effective as the response to it. You know, should um, you know another event like this take place, I think the response has to be swift and with some measure of significance, so that it uh, serves as a deterrent for other. Uh, groups that might do the same
1: right so essentially we don't want to see anything like this happen ever again
5: (laughs) i would love not to see something like this happen ever again absolutely
1: i would back you up on that darren thank you so much for your time
5: My pleasure. Anytime.
1: That's Darren Danilak. who's president of the BC Principals and Vice Principals Association. Uh, Nobody wants to see that happen again. In fact, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. I don't know what those people were thinking. I don't know what those protesters were thinking, that it was a good idea to go into two elementary schools and a secondary school in Salmon Arm to protest vaccine mandates. I mean, just no, do not start messing with schools You're going to find it's the same situation as when you messed with the hospital district, and that is you're going to get a lot of pushback, which is what's happening now. So Darren Daniluk is the president of the BC Principals and Vice Principals Association, and they are saying, yeah, they would support the idea of that bubble zone around schools and hospitals to make sure that we don't have to react on a per-case basis, that we just know this kind of thing could not, should not happen again.